Good day to you lovely listeners. Welcome to episode 78 of Stacey's Pop Culture Parlour. This episode is actually the other half of the episode I recorded with Nick Papa Constantinou. I'm really sorry it's taken me so long to get this half of this episode out. Uh, I've been a combination of mega busy, absolutely exhausted and so frustrated with the technological nightmare that has been editing this episode uh, that it's taken me a bit longer than anticipated. However, I do enjoy this uh, half of the episode and I'll see you soon for another episode of the show. Enjoy! crazy ex-girlfriend at all i do not and our mutual friend timothy swan assumed that i would do oh no maybe it's not that maybe it was jane the virgin who was talking about i haven't watched either of them <laughs> okay basically well because i've been watching the the latest series of that which i think is the third series i'm having a bit of a brain fart right now my whole my whole mind has gone to mush <laughs> mm-hmm. i do apologize because I I liked that show because it was different. Because do you know the the premise of it at all? Um, I'm not sure actually. Did I watch the first? No, I don't think I do. What is the premise of it? Well, basically, the first series was about um, it's about a lady who is suffering from like depression and such, and she's a very high powered lawyer in New York, but she's completely unhappy, like 100 percent mm-hmm. unhappy. And she happens to bump into, in the street, like an old, like, I think it was like a summer camp crush that she had when she was like 16. And she decides just to like give up her high powered, very highly paid New York job to move to where he lives in California and like start a new life in this teeny tiny law firm and basically like stalk this guy into going out with her. Um, <laughs> okay. The reason I liked it is because there are two. There were two main reasons I liked it. The first is because it's a sort of musical. So, like, if you think of how like Flight of the Concords is a musical in the sense that there's yeah. there's the odd song and they are relevant to the plot, but it's not like an out and out musical musical, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah, so it's like it's very different from most things that are on the telly at the moment. Um, but the other reason I liked it was because it wasn't, like, afraid of showing you, like... Because basically, like, the title says it all. She is a, She's literally a crazy ex-girlfriend. Like, she's not... As much as she seems like a smart and good person, like, she has a dark side and mental health issues, and they're not scared yeah. of, like, addressing those at all. And she makes, like, a, a friendship with a lady at this new law firm, and there's a lot of, like, really good lady friendship moments that you don't often get on telly or in movies and stuff but towards the end of series two it took a bit of a turn and this season has been really weird and i don't know how i feel about it because 
The thing I used to really like about it was that the songs were amazing. Like one of the standout ones from the first series for me was called the Sexy Getting Ready song. And so it's like this like, mm-hmm. she, she sings it in a sort of like whispery, sexy getting ready song kind of voice. Um, and it's, <laughs> yeah, okay. it's all about like all the gross stuff women have to do to look presentable for a date. So it's like about squeezing herself into a pair of spanks and like spending 45 minutes shaving one leg and like it's just a ridiculous and that like she's trying to do a sexy dance whilst like stuffing herself into a push-up bra and stuff. (laughs) <laughs> and there's some like really good like sort of parodied style songs in it. Like there's one about um, being in a sexy French depression, <laughs> which she sings in a French <laughs> accent, which is quite fun. <laughs> but this series, the the songs have sort of taken a back seat to the mental health stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, it's made me a lot more uncomfortable than I thought it would. <laughs> um, in the one sense, that's probably a really good thing because it gets you thinking about. Mm-hmm mental health issues but on the other hand like she comes off as a genuine lunatic and i don't know how well it's doing in terms of because she's not a sympathetic character yeah yeah and i don't i don't know if that's what they're aiming for if they're trying to say like you know mental health issues aren't an excuse but also like you know she genuinely can't help herself from doing certain things Hmm. but it's just it's become uncomfortable for me to watch now and it's not very entertaining anymore and also the songs feel like out of place like i'm I'm probably getting spoiling this now i'm really sorry but like in the last episode Mm -hmm. she decides to go home to new york to her mom because she's like basically burnt every bridge she had in california Mm -hmm. and her mom gets worried about her because she thinks she's going to try and kill herself so she starts putting um anti antidepressants into milkshakes um and sort of basically like drugging her up without her knowing and that's all juxtaposed with the law firm in California trying to deal with her new replacement at the office. Um, and there's a weird song that the, the replacement law firm lady sings. I've forgotten her name. That's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's like basically saying that she feels uncomfortable because clearly people aren't dealing with the fact that Rebecca's gone and that, you know, they're all sort of pouncing on her, but it's not really about her. And that's juxtaposed with like Rebecca basically planning to kill herself. And it just felt so like wrong. Like it didn't match up at all. And the tone of it just felt like so off. And so I I don't really know what I'm doing with this series at the moment. It's because, I mean, the thing is, I I wondered when you said it, uh, when you said it initially, if it was, because knowing who we are, it could be uncomfortable watching it because it was very real, mm. if you see what I mean, and it wasn't necessarily what you were tuning in for. But I know you watch BoJack Horseman, and that's one of the things you love about that show. I think, yeah, is yeah. Uh, is that it, it deals with it deals with a lot of that stuff. But um, I think one of the and I, I again, I probably mentioned it on one of my previous uh, previous appearances. I definitely talk about it a lot, just in general. But it's. Uh, uh, it's a discussion that's come up a lot very recently for various reasons is um i don't for me when you have for example a scandal or something involving an actor or whatever or a writer it doesn't necessarily i don't necessarily think that i'm a boycotting type of person it doesn't i can separate art from artist and stuff like that but what it does impact on is my ability to if i'm watching something that's dealing with complicated 
or difficult or confrontational themes um, or content, I need to trust that the people making it are smarter than I am about them. Or like, I need to trust they're taking me on a walk through some complicated stuff. And I don't need to, I don't need to be mollycoddled at all. In fact, I, I quite like it when I'm not mollycoddled by the people making stuff. But at the same time, I need to, I need to trust their judgment on what they're writing about or what they're talking about or whatever. Yes. So if it's a, if it's an anti-hero and it's supposed to be an exploration of how, um, of how awful some people are. If I then find out that one of the actors playing the character is a fucking awful human being, suddenly it becomes, wow, I'm not, I'm not sure we're meant to dislike this character or, or examine them as much as I previously thought we were supposed to. And it sounds like the same, it sounds like the same sort of thing. When you know that Hollywood and sitcoms in particular, I mean, even, even shows I really respect have an approach to handling mental health that isn't that empathic yeah. generally. That like it's it's shorthand for a lot of different things, and you don't often get to you either get a rep even if you're supposed to feel sympathy for the person who's mentally ill, you don't if you're meant to feel sympathy for them, then it's normally a really ridiculous representation of mental health. It's not normally like it's normally all the all the high notes, all the tick boxes of it. But then you've got another situation. The thing I'm thinking of in particular, there's a character in the L word who is who's kind of the main character in the L word. And the act I don't know what the notes were on the script <laughs> or on any of the script. The actress playing her seems to be doing a really it it was really familiar to me from having um having been in a long term relationship with a, a a a woman who was like variously diagnosed with being bipolar or having borderline person. We never quite nailed a diagnosis, but like yeah. there are intrusive voices and stuff like that. She she had manic periods of, of like high manic periods and low manic periods and stuff like that. The character in the L word seemed to be she seemed to be act, she she seemed to be acting from the perspective that that's what that character was. But across the whole show the subject of mental health never came up in that show. Oh. She was just presented as a as a as a irresponsible and erratic bitch, basically. That was that was the character. And so I never quite came to terms with that because I was like, well, I mean, she does horrible things, but it feels to me like she's clearly mentally ill and none of the other characters are treating her like it never comes up. And so I don't know if I don't think they were trying to make a statement about anything. But what I'm not sure of is if if literally the people making the show have known people with mental health conditions in the past and rather than interpreting them as mental health conditions just thought that person was a complete arsehole i'm writing her into my next thing do you know what i do you know yeah. what i mean it's yeah i suppose the the one the one good thing about crazy ex-girlfriend is that they are quite good at like her relationships with other people the other people in her life are very supportive, if that makes sense. So I think in terms of, like, if somebody was watching that and has mental health issues themselves that maybe they didn't talk to anybody about because, I don't know, they feel embarrassed or ashamed or <laughs> they feel like they're crazy. Yeah. It's it's a good representation in the sense of, you know, it would encourage people to talk about stuff. But on the other hand, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just because... I'm not saying a show that is a musical uh, that's usually a bit ridiculous can't have serious bits in it, but I think it mm. just needs to be a bit more careful about how it juxtaposes song and dance routines in a swimming pool with a lady trying to kill herself on an aeroplane. Like, yeah, it's uh, it just felt like was there really any sort off. of change of production? Like, 
showrunners or anything. Well, it's one of those things where, um, like, each episode tends to be written or directed by, like, different people. Yeah. So, like, I mean, there was quite a noticeable episode a few ones before that that I really enjoyed, which was filmed very much like a sort of almost horror movie style thing because it, it was basically Rebecca trying to get revenge. Well, she believed she deserved revenge on the boyfriend that she chased into California because they almost got married and then he left her on their wedding day. <laughs> and so it, the the direction for that making a very noticeable change into sort of like, you know, creepy revenge stalker movie territory was actually really good. But this one, it kind of felt like they didn't really know what to They kind of had to put everybody from the law firm in the episode, otherwise it would have been weird. But they didn't Mm -hmm. seem to really know what they wanted to do with any of them. Then having them sing a daft song in a pool, like, and then, yeah, it just just felt like it didn't really sit nicely together. I don't, it's, it's, it's weird. I don't. I think we're becoming a bit more savvy, and some sometimes it's we pick up on stuff like that. I wonder if um, I find I wonder an awful lot about what the makeup of the writers' room yeah. is these days. Like the so in a writers' room like that, you'd you'd hope that there are at least a few women. I think in the writers' are, room, yeah. and yeah, and and that some of them some of them are definitely speaking from the perspective of being definitely like intimately aware of mental health stuff. The same with like shows that have black characters on like there's a, a a thing a game i've started playing partly it's not really a game but when you watch i'm watching two time travel shows at the moment there's timeless and there's uh, legends of tomorrow mm-hmm. and they've both got black characters on the team and had they've both got black characters on the team and they've both done civil war stories or 1960s america stories and stuff like that and i spend a lot of time trying to work out so this particular little incident where they're pointing out how racist the old days were, does that feel like it was written by a black person or a white person? Because <laughs> oh you can normally you can normally tell. It's like um it's it's been a, a question about diversity behind the scenes and things, hasn't it, recently? Because yeah. shows have got pretty good about having diverse casts, but then every single cop show we watch and every single hospital show we watch has had a Black Lives Matter story recently, for example. And you can you can roughly tell what the makeup of the writers' room probably was based on how they represent all the different elements of that sort of a story. Oh, we've been watching. Uh, we just finished this uh, hospital drama called Night. Well, it's not a hospital drama. It's like a hospital show called Night Shift, which got cancelled. Um, but it's on Netflix. And their final episode, they decided to do a university shooting story, oh, and dear. and they made the interesting choice because normally this show is okay about things even though it's sort of a military facing sort of hospital drama they decided that they were going to make the university shooter they were going to make the motive behind the university shooting that there was a conservative uh, guest lecturer who was a conservative speaking a right winger and the liberal students had uh, tried to uh, protest and that hadn't worked so it was these like fundamentalist liberal <laughs> <laughs> liberal <laughs> mass shooters who were, and they were spouting all of this uh all of this left-wing like jar- jargon and it was like that's i mean i understand you wanting to change things up a little bit but there are actual lots of mass shootings happening in america at the moment and they're almost never carried out by <laughs> by these fringe leftist lunatics it just doesn't happen so that was a bit weird i'm not sure what my point was i was about representation and yeah and i and so you're watching i guess you're watching that sort of thing and you're thinking like 
I would like to know what they're getting at a bit more by mm. by this particular episode because it feels a bit off. Yeah. It feels yeah. The one thing I do like about it though is that they haven't gone for like the sort of massive shock value because that episode is like not the end of the series when they could easily mm. have had that be like sort of the cliffhanger for you know oh is she gonna. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine? But a lot, <laughs> a lot imagine. of like, yeah, exactly. A lot of like Hollywood style, like t- like sitcoms and stuff would probably have gone down that route. Like where, like the end of the episode is like the the passenger next to her ringing for the help bell as she like slips into unconsciousness or something on a plane. Like mm. it, it could have been really grim, but I'm pretty sure there's like the thing is, you know, she's not gonna like die because she's the titular crazy ex-girlfriend mm. but like her journey is interesting but i don't know how well suited it is to the medium that they're sticking it in um like yeah. a, a comedy musical doesn't doesn't often seem like the right place i mean that being said there have been a couple of songs that are quite funny like um i can't remember if it was series one or two but there was a <laughs> there was a song when she moves to california she finds out that the crush that she's moved there for um, has a girlfriend already who is this like beautiful uh, yoga teacher named Valencia and she's like got an amazing bod and she's just like stunning and so Rebecca sing, like, st- has this like whole song and dance number about how she, she wants to like it's like a really happy sounding song but it's all about how she wants to like chop off all of her skin and wear it as a dress <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> like but it's in the context of the show it's like it's really funny but now that yeah now that the, the sort of show itself is getting less less comedy and more dark i don't know how like those songs just don't sit right with me anymore yeah again it's like you said you, you don't you don't need to be molly coddled but but that's that's fairly heady territory and you need to know you, you need to know that you're safe while you're you know yeah you're safe from the malicious the potentially malicious subtexts of a Hollywood writer's room or whatever. I, I think I get it. Yeah. I get it. It's funny actually though, because we're talking like not so much Van Helsing, but Winona Earp's a bit of an anti-hero character. She's a reluctant hero. You're talking about crazy ex-girlfriend. The other two things I've thought, I've thought about, they're two sitcoms. One's the good place, which is all about a woman who isn't good enough to be in heaven. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the other one's Motherland, which is a show that's just started, written by Sharon Horgan and uh, and Graham Linehan on uh, BBC. That's all about how truly shocking some people are at being parents. Well, most parents are at being parents, and I don't know if you've seen either of them, but they're both women at their worst, basically. <laughs> I've uh, I've not seen any of Motherland, but um, Rich was watching the the Good Place um, last series, and I just, I couldn't. It didn't. It didn't um, stick with me. It didn't entice me oh. enough. And then it was, <laughs> it was one of those things where I didn't get roped in in the first few episodes. So I sort of like zoned out and did other stuff whenever he watched it. And then when it got to sort of like that big reveal towards the end of series one, yeah. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I kind of wish I'd stuck with that now. <laughs> well, yeah, because it's one of those. It, it is. It's it's a difficult fit because it's a sitcom where um, it's a sitcom that it, the the form doesn't suit shows where you have to watch all of them in sequence i think good place is on netflix so it's quite easy to binge it so it is is okay but like the ones that are really successful the ones that tend to be really good 
classics of the form of things like Brooklyn 99 where yeah. there is there is continuity but you can literally watch any episode and it won't really matter what order you watch them in and stuff like that whereas the good place one episode does follow on to another the first i i'm i, I already know that it's losing amy my wife because uh, the second season because we loved the first season but she likes once once she's set like something like american gods where every episode's a bit different she can handle them changing the pace and changing changing what you're focusing on in this episode or whatever. And something like Game of Thrones where it's like that all the time as well. Although not too much if it's a season where it's literally doing that constantly, not so much. But something like The Walking Dead where it's a really basic story, but you move away from a character like Glenn for four episodes. So they can get away with having him hiding under a dumpster for four episodes <laughs> and you're thinking he's dead. Like she she starts to get frustrated when... Uh, she starts to get frustrated at roughly the point I start to get really into things, which is when <laughs> they start going, well, we've we've managed to nail presenting these characters in these situations all the time. Let's see how we can change it up without spoiling the good place too much. I know you already know the reveal, but it is pretty cool. And it's one of those things where I think if people haven't watched it, it's better if they find it out for themselves. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Although I've seen a couple of people saying, I mean, I guessed from the first episode that that's where blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, but why would you have even guessed that, really, though? Anyway, there's no reason to think there's anything weird going on at all. I've probably spoiled it just by saying that, because now anyone who watches it is going to be going, well, I mean, Nick said that something weird's going on, so <laughs> so what could that possibly be? But the first two or three episodes of the second series are literally just, they completely break the idea of continuity. It's it's really, really fun. I don't know, uh, I don't know because the, the reveal at the end of the first season is one that sort of says, well, I mean, literally anything can happen in this show now. So for the first two or three episodes of the second series, that's what happens. Literally anything happens for two or three episodes. And it's weird and it's totally fucked up. Motherland, I don't know. It's basically about all of the stuff that isn't fun about being a parent. And the kids aren't in it. They're hardly in it at all. They're just seen as this agents of, they're just, they're just basically seen as this barrier that you have to work out. You have to work out who's going to be looking after them all the time. That's what, that's what they're for. They're like, well, how the fuck am I supposed to do everything else I need to do while also looking after these kids? So they don't really have personalities or anything, but it is, um, it is pretty bleak, but it's also really fun. And the, the standout character in it is, I can never remember her name. She's called Liz and she's played by, Philomena Kunk from the Charlie Brooker White shows. Yeah. Do you know her? I don't yeah. know her actual name, but I, I, no. I only know so her as Philomena the, Kunk. The, the premise, and I mean, it's, I love Sharon Horgan, but, and Graham Linehan, I, I quite like, but it is like a very white middle class version of parenting. Everyone, even, even the single mum, uh, even the single mum who hasn't got tuppence to like, um, Tuppence, who says that? <laughs> who hasn't got two pound coins to rub together? Uh, lives in an all right house that you get the impression that you know maybe she pays rent. But it's like it's it's an all right version of of uh, none of them are worrying about money that much or anything like that. But it's about a working mum whose mum the setup in the first episode is that up until this point that she actually says that she's always hoped that her kids would be brought up like she was by her mother. So like. <laughs> Her grand, her, her mum has been looking after the kids and helping her with childcare up to a point, but has just said uh, in a like said at some point immediately previous to the to the show starting that she just doesn't want to do it anymore. That she wants to see the kids, but she 
she doesn't want to keep doing the childcare. So suddenly this woman's having to do the school run and all of that stuff and just is this really manic, not manic in the mental health sense, but just she's not great at it. She's She was barely holding it together when she had her, her job in the city at, at doing event like management or it's one of those sorts of jobs it's kind of a quite a yuppie yuppiest job and now she's having to do the school run and reckon with the uh the stay-at-home mums who are their own little clique who sit at their own table at the cafe after the school drop-off and there's just her and this very weird stay-at-home dad who's a lot like frank spencer from some mothers do have him which i don't know who's a reference people get anymore (laughs) Um, and um and liz who is who's the single mum and who is basically she's like rambo she's she's just she almost cuts her finger off in the first episode basically uh, the main character whose name escapes me ends up going around to her house and the kids are the kids are all running around together so uh liz the single mom says to her would you like um do you want something to eat i can make your cheese sandwich she says okay and so liz gets this uh, block of cheese out of the freezer and starts trying to and she says you can freeze cheese he says yeah you can you can freeze pretty much anything so she's trying to make her cheese sandwich by hacking at this block of cheese <laughs> with this giant kitchen knife and ends up like cutting the end of a finger off practically and Ooh. having to go to but she's just like but she just wraps it up with a bandage and says, "Oh, I'll, I'll just get a cab to the to the hospital. It's fine." So she's basically like Rambo, and she's the standout character. She's absolutely brilliant, and everything else is kind of everyone else is just various degrees of. I mean, she's a fucking mess as well. But every, it, I don't. The more I talk about it, it just doesn't sound like fun. It's just <laughs> a, a bunch of a bunch of the, like. M- People who are broken in really mundane ways, struggling. Mm. I don't know if it's funny <laughs> thinking about it. I mean, it's, maybe don't watch Motherland. I don't know. <laughs> it sounds a lot more funny because I just the other day watched uh, Bad Moms Two, the Christmassy Christmas version, and um, oh yeah, I have issues with this movie because on a humour level, there's like enough jokes in it for it to be like a passable, like an average comedy. Like it made me chuckle a few times mm-hmm. um, and so it was fine. But there are some really weird relationships in this movie and the blame around them that, okay, I'm going to have to spoil this now because otherwise I'm not going to make any fucking sense. But essentially, the have you seen Bad Moms, the first I one? I have. Okay. It's, uh, it's one of those annoying things where they try and make out like they're terrible moms because, I don't know, every now and again they might forget to pack a lunch for their kid or something stupid um, or, ooh, they can't make PTA mm. meetings. But, like, the premise of this film is that the bad moms are actually those moms' moms. So, like, all of their moms come over for Christmas. And, mm. um... What's the ch- I've forgotten her character's name now, but um, Catherine Hahn's character, like her mom, is like a almost like a deadbeat dad, but in a female bod, in the sense that she's very much like she only pops up when she needs some money, and she yeah. like gambles a lot of it away, and like doesn't have a relationship with her grandkids or like anything. That's probably the the relationship that's handled the best because in the end she learns a bit of a lesson and she hangs out with the family more. So it's like, oh, that's nice. But the mm-hmm. two that really bothered me was um, Mila Kunis and her mum's relationship is insane in the sense that like 
<laughs> Basically, Mila Kunis's mom in the movie turns up and starts like running Christmas. Like she's putting decorations up in the house. She's throwing parties with like 150 people come in and ice sculptures and sushi stuff. And she's forcing the kids to go and see a five-hour-long version of the Nutcracker. And she's like ruining Christmas for everyone. So Mila Kunis stands up to her as you would. Yeah, kicks her out of the house because she's like, mm-hmm. Do you know what? You've driven me nuts. Get the fuck out of my house. And then Mila Kunis goes to apologise to her, and that really rolled me up because Mila Kunis has nothing to apologise for in that scenario like you know yeah it is a bit shitty to kick your mum out of the house on Christmas Eve yeah but you did just walk into a party that you explicitly said she couldn't throw in your house (laughs) like you know that's insane but the worst one was um what's the chops Kristen Bell and um, again, I've forgotten the name of the lady who plays her mom, but she was um, Larry David's wife in Curb Your Enthusiasm. All right, yeah, yeah. I know. So their relationship is completely squiffy because since Kristen Bell's character's dad died, the mom has basically been living up Kristen Bell's ass, and so she appears at Christmas and does things like. She wears jumpers with Kristen Bell's face on them and pyjamas with her face on them and hugs her constantly and sniffs her hair and won't leave her alone. And then she buys the house next door, even though it wasn't even for sale. She literally convinces two people to move out of their home so she can buy it. Like, she's legit nuts. Uh But again, Kristen Bell is the one that's supposed to apologise for asking for space at the end. And I'm like, what kind of fucking loony bin version of the world are we living in? That it's acceptable to literally stalk your own daughter because you're a bit sad that your husband died a few years ago. The the message is respect your elders, isn't it? Well, I mean, yeah, I think it is, but like, it's a really, it's a really weird way of doing it because the the parents are not like sympathetic characters at all, and they don't learn any lessons or apologise for anything, and that drove me mad because if Mila Kunis had turned up and said to her mother character, like, hey. It's pretty shitty of me to kick you out on Christmas Eve, you know, please come home, let's sort our lives out. And then the mum was like, do you know what? I'm really sorry, I shouldn't have thrown a party in your house when you told me not to, and I shouldn't have forced your kids to go and see a shitty play that nobody wanted to see. Like, that was really, you know, I acknowledge that I'm ruining your Christmas. Yeah. I'd have been like, all right, that's a good way to end that. But she doesn't, and it just made me really mad. Because, you know, you probably know this, but women don't often get a very good rap uh, on the uh, on the old movie screens anyway no yeah i had heard that i've never seen any evidence of it (laughs) (laughs) to have like a bunch of women because this film is mostly mostly women um but they're all Uh just constantly at each other's throats and then the wrong people apologize and then there's like a scene where um Catherine Hahn, Kristen Bell, and Mila Kunis just decide to go off and get pissed somewhere because they're like, mm-hmm. we've fucking had enough of our terrible moms being terrible. And and that section of the film is, is so, like, it feels so weird because it's like, hold on a minute, like, aren't you supposed to have kids and jobs and you're just getting pissed at a food court at a yeah. shopping centre instead of just saying to your mums, like, stop being shit. <laughs> I was getting really cross at this movie and I don't think that's what the intention I think that's uh, that's like the uh, that's like the Doctor Who issue with the people never have it. Like, uh, Amy has that issue slightly with Motherland because the main character is clearly stretched very thin, struggling to balance her job with uh, the kids. And yet, because it's a sitcom, they still have to have their cafe that they always go to and like stop everything in the middle of the day to go and spend several hours in the cafe and stuff yeah. like that. And Amy's like, I thought she had to get to 
work i don't like i don't understand and it's like in a in a, a doctor who where uh, uh they want to give um the characters a they want to give the assistants a job where they won't be missed you know yeah. a boring mundane job where they won't be missed if they go off for a few days at a time so they make them fucking teachers <laughs> it's like it's like you've literally never had a real job in in your life that is so weird and it's that sort of thing. The thing I had, a, I had a bit of a problem with the first Bad Mums. And it wasn't that Mila Kunis couldn't be a mum, because of course everybody could be a mum, even ethereally beautiful in a slightly weird way, people like Mila Kunis. It's that she was supposed to be a bit of a slob and a wreck as well. And it was like, I'm just, I'm just not seeing that. Sorry, that's not working for me. It doesn't make any sense to me, um, which I know is me like, you know, even people who look perfectly turned out all the time can be uh, an absolute wreckage. I understand that, but I just wasn't wasn't that convinced. It's. I remember we really enjoyed the first one, but it was a bit weird because the conflicts that were being proposed in it just weren't very com- conflict uh, convincing. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And it sounds like the same problem with the second one. Well, it's it that one of the issues is really that they have to to make it be. A big enough like issue that it would be ruining Christmas for people potentially. They have to make it like ludicrous, and so it gets to yeah. the point where like even though I know I'm watching a comedy and I shouldn't be that bothered, I can't buy like the characters of the mums. I don't I don't buy as real human people because they're too much. There's no way people get away with behaving the way that they behave in any normal situation, and that started driving me crackers. Also, it's a really bad idea to see a Christmas movie in the first week of November because <laughs> uh, we took yeah. one step out of the cinema and, like, there's no Christmas lights up yet, there's no German market up yet, and it was grey and it was drizzling, and I was like, well, that's killed all the festive mood. <laughs> I had a little bit of a festive going on there, and now it's just like, ugh, fizzled out. Uh, I think like, uh, you, you, when you were talking about it, it made me think a little bit of uh, we watched Bad Neighbours 2. And oh, yeah. We quite liked the... <laughs> It is weird, but we quite like the first one as well. But I think the reason those films work is that there is never any effort in those films to make them seem remotely like any of the conflicts in them are are real. In fact, I think it's a while since I saw it, but I think there are even a couple of points where the characters are like, this is what we're doing is just, this seems like an (laughs) disproportionate escalation or something. (laughs) And so you you don't have that. Like the whole point of a show, the whole point of a film like Bad Mums, I guess, when they're when they're pitching it is. And the thing is, everyone can re- like this is really going to hit with the particular demographic of like uh, mums in their late late twenties to to mid thirties because every every woman goes through this this feeling that they're an inadequate parent, and then everyone has these. Do you know what I mean? That's that that's how they will have sold that and got the funding for it. Mm. And then it sounds just like it's fucking ridiculous and the conflicts are not anything that any mother's ever really going to... Because, yeah, people have slightly overbearing mums, but, like, <laughs> not to that extent. Yeah, no, it's crackers. Like, I um, I can't envision that my mum would ever get away with any of the stuff. Like, the instant my mum sniffed my hair, I'd be like, what's wrong with you? What's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> you massive What the fuck weirdo. is happening this year? I remember really liking Kristen Bell's... It's funny, actually. Kristen Bell in that film in the first one, made me, when I first read the premise for The Good Place, made me like flinch at it because I thought it would be a bit Christian-y and a bit gaudy and a bit spiritual. Yeah. Just because 
I'd forgotten, I'd clearly forgotten that I watched her in Veronica Mars and she was amazing and I've watched her in other things. And I was just thinking of her as this squeaky clean because she's quite convincing. She's really good in that role, I think. Yeah. Well, certainly she was in the first one. And so I was thinking, I was reading this thing about this, uh, uh, Kristen Bell plays a character who ends up in heaven and, and Ted Danson plays the, the, jolly old and i was like i can't get a read on what this show is going to be but it it seems like it might be a bit sick sickly sweet and it's really not like that at all i don't know what else do you want to talk about i've got other stuff to talk about we've been talking for ages the uh, the only other thing i've got on my list of things to talk about was uh, an exciting thing that happened today which was a deadpool teaser trailer for deadpool 2 and uh, i'm excited i, am I saw excited. imdb told me about that while i was looking for pictures of actors from uh, sitcoms uh, in their normal i was looking i was looking for i was basically perving at pictures of the men on the good place <laughs> so, but, but imdb tried to get me to watch the deadpool trailer and i didn't know what to make of it because i enjoyed the first one but i don't think i enjoyed it as much as and anyone else did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're probably talking to the wrong person here because I saw that movie four times at the cinema and I've probably <laughs> seen it a good six to ten times since. I I fucking love that movie. It's uh, It just hit... Because like, I love Deadpool as a character anyway. Mm-hmm. And I was cautiously optimistic about the first movie because I was like, this could go really well and the trailers look really good, but, you know, it still could also go... Like really, there's a lot of potential with Deadpool to go wrong because of the like the fourth wall breaking. How you know how are they going to do that without it being like too much or not enough? Or you know, there's the swearing and the gore and the the silliness, but also the not so silliness. And I, you know, I was like, I don't know how this is going to go. But literally from the moment it started and that sort of like cut scene of people dangling out of a halfway crashed car. Um, yeah. with the ludicrous subtitles that popped up, I was like, oh, it's, it's already perfect. It's already perfect. That was excellent, actually. It really was. And uh, and everything that happened afterwards was like pretty top tits amazing <laughs> anyway. But like, oh, why do they acknowledge Ferris Bueller? That, that was cool. I didn't get that at the time. That was because, a deep cut. Yeah, I hadn't actually seen Ferris Bueller until um, this past August, actually. I went to visit friend of the show Jenny Newman and we had a movie night and she made me watch it because she was like I can't believe there's so many 80s movies you haven't seen you absolute pop culture heathen you're young though I mean it's fine <laughs> what did uh, what did you think because he's kind of an asshole, isn't he Ferris Bueller yeah I mean um we watched a few movies that weekend that I hadn't seen before and I think that one was probably my favorite because it's it's different it's a bit different yeah, uh, and it's you know it it can be kind of funny, but yeah, he is a bit of a knob, but uh, he's almost like that Deadpool style of knob in which you kind of don't yeah. mind because he's a bit funny and a bit charming uh, and entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a film I'll ever ever watch again. I don't think I'm that bothered. I I tried about it. I'm glad I've seen. I we I watched that with my wife a while ago and i watched we watched which i think she'd seen that but we watched the breakfast club which is another one of those films it's also john hughes and it occupies a huge part of my like quite formative years and we were watching it and she enjoyed it and i spent i I think a bit but i spent a lot of it thinking these these people are assholes though this is a weird (laughs) this is a weird film they're all like horrible and i and i really really with you know which is probably just because I'm old. I really related to the two old, the two grown-up characters in it who 
uh, one of them's supposed to be seen as a little bit, I'd always seen as a little bit pathetic, and the other one's actually the villain. And I was thinking, oh, yeah, these men in their 40s, I can totally actually see how they've ended up <laughs> feeling how they do. But, yeah, the thing with Ferris Bueller, actually, it's interesting. It's Ferris Bueller is, I think, it's one of only a handful of films that Mia Sarah is in. And whenever I watch Stranger Things, the girl, uh, Nancy, Mm -hmm. I always think she looks the spitting image of Mia Sarah, and it's weird because, like, Mia Sarah was only in about two or three things, and then well, I think she was in that and maybe Legend or something else. Anyway, Deadpool, the Deadpool trailer, is that, <laughs> that's not a Christmas one, is it? There's something to do with Christmas. No, it's not a Christmas one. It's um. So I'm assuming you said you hadn't watched it. I haven't watched it, but it's fine. You can say whatever you want with impunity. <laughs> well, there's not actually an awful lot of spoilerage for the... The movie in there, there's a couple of like action shots, as it were, that take up maybe about 10 seconds. It's just like, ooh, look at this explosion. Ooh, look at this like roll and shooting of a gun that I just did. The, the majority of the clip is actually um, Deadpool dressed as uh, Bob Ross painting while high off his face. <laughs> on cocaine and it's amazing it's so funny there's a really brilliant wayne's world reference in it as well that had me crying <laughs> which like basically in the credits at the end it comes up camera one wayne campbell camera two wayne campbell yeah. and i just, oh it was perfect but it's yeah it's oh god i was like literally laughing out loud so hard at it at this like two minute trailer that i had to watch it again immediately because i'd miss bits from snorting <laughs> is there a i was gonna say is that where where did i get christmas from is the preview picture is it like a thanksgiving dinner or something like it is yeah it's um apparently it's a recreation yeah, okay. of some sort of famous thing well, but i don't know bob what it's painting <laughs> i mean it might be i only know bob ross having painted like landscapes and sticking like happy little trees in places and stuff that's that's my <laughs> knowledge that's what he always used to say just gonna put, just put a happy little tree and he'd uh and he'd do his little dabby stabby thing with his brush to make little tree shapes anyway um <laughs> but yeah like i am so 100 percent dead like set on deadpool because every like Whoever it is who's behind the like marketing and PR for this movie needs a fucking medal because mm-hmm. and with the first one because all of the the like tie-in stuff is just so on point it's ludicrous. I am like yeah I'm so like down for Deadpool to I need it in my life like as soon as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly savvy. It's all very sort of yeah. It is all quite smart, isn't it? It's. Mm. It's totally geared up for people who are less cynical than me, I think, to be <laughs> honest. I don't. I'm so old and worn out. It's terrible. No, I, I, to be honest, I really, I, it's another one of those things. I, I liked the film. I liked the first film. I, I did enjoy it. I liked it fine. I just, um, I, I get burned out by people's enthusiasm. Yeah. Not yours, because I trust you and I like you and everything, but like the internet's enthusiasm, I get exhausted by it. A bunch of people have decamped from Twitter to Mastodon, um, which is very similar to Twitter, but has much more smart and considered terms and conditions, basically. That's the, uh, ultimately, it's a similar technical solution to Twitter, but it's the terms and conditions are very targeted at not allowing for harassment and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And a few people 
I think people have been going there in waves, and I I picked it up a couple of weeks ago, uh, back when it uh, uh, back when it wasn't cool. And now, um, uh, because Twitter has uh, has um, uh, Twitter shat the bed again, I can't remember what they did this week, but they've clearly done something that's really upset people. Uh, that sounds really minimising. I'm sure it was actually something really bad. Like it's just I don't I don't really see how allowing someone to almost kick off uh, World War Three can really be topped in terms of how bad Twitter can get. But anyway, but so there's a new wave, and I think most people are decamping to Mastodon because they're sick of how much of a cesspool they see Twitter as having got. But I realised today when uh, when a few uh, comic creators that you know, granted, I do really like started talking about how they were leaving and started setting up their accounts on Mastodon. That the main thing I liked about Mastodon is that there aren't many people on it yet, so it's still quite quiet. And I'm not having to deal with I'm not having to deal with people being horrible, but I'm also not having to deal with people being enthusiastic about stuff either. Because I never know what I'm supposed to like or not. It's really confusing. I mean, you're allowed to like or dislike anything you want to like or dislike. The problem comes with uh, expressing those opinions. Because <laughs> I, I mean, I've got to be honest. I don't, um, I don't experience much of people telling me what I can or can't like. And when I see people ranting about particular things on Twitter or Facebook, I just ignore them because I can't be asked. Um, because I tend to surround myself with people who can actually have like proper conversations with me about my opinions. The, mm. the problem that I have in terms of the enthusiasm situation is that there have been a lot of things that, for me, did not live up to the hype that they got on the internet. For example, mm. and this one's probably going to get me a, a kick in on the internet, I saw Get Out a couple of months ago, but this was like All right. like way after it had been out. Like everybody had seen it by the time me and Rich watched it. And don't get me wrong, I enjoyed it. It was a good film. Mm-hmm. But like according to the internet, this film was like 100% perfect, no balls dropped, everything amazing, couldn't make it any better, pure gold, mm-hmm. like give it all of the Oscars. And I watched it and I was like, oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> I d- like it became a victim of its own hype to me really like I almost yeah. like I was the problem was I think that I was spending more of my time trying to figure out why everybody raved about it as much as they did yeah. rather than enjoying the movie there, there's it's a culturally important film because it's a it's a film made by a, for all the reasons it is it's a film made by a black director that's specific explicitly about a black the black experience in a time when in a time when people are actually quibbling over what's the um I'm trying to think what the name of the um the stand up there's a stand up comedian who I think has been on SNL and there's a uh, a really really good stand up special he did Michael Che I think his name is and it's called Michael uh, Michael Che Matters and he does a bit about Black Lives Matter which is uh which I think is in the preview and it's actually really really funny because he's basically saying we're we're arguing over the word matters. We're we're arguing over like not black lives are uh are like uh, important or like he's basically basically pointing out we're not even t- anyway. It's really funny, but it's a time when we're, we're when I don't know, especially American society is quibbling over that shit, and it's of anyone who even brings up race is suddenly being accused of being divisive, and then it's a film that unashamedly brings it up. And it's also a film that's actually a pretty tight little thriller, when though a horror thriller when those don't really happen. I don't like the payoff personally because I find I'm guessing anybody who cared is going to have watched it, but like 
what's actually happened in it when you actually the big reveal was to me a little bit schlocky because it's a bit 1950s brain swappy stuff going on and i found that a bit weird i liked the i liked the idea that there was some sort of brainwashing going on or or something like that so so when it when it it the reveal was such a sort of a 1950s heads in jars sort of a a brains in jars sort of a solution to the whole thing Mm -hmm. that bothered me a little bit because that was a little bit I found that a little bit silly compared to everything else that had happened. But I think it's just, I mean, it's its not an amazing film. It's just a really good, tight little film when there aren't that many of those around yeah. by people that don't often get to, don't often get to make films mm-hmm. that are like that one. Do you know what I mean? And I, I mean, I'm not, I don't think I'm saying anything that anyone doesn't know at this point, but it's just, but people are so hungry. It's, um, <sighs> To take it away from race, you see that with superhero films all the time. It's like people are so hungry for, they get it into the heads that what they're so hungry for is a Spider-Man film that isn't by anyone other than Marvel Studios. So when one comes out, it doesn't even have to be amazing. It just, it can just be all right. And they're going to be talking about it for weeks or do do you see what I mean? It's, it's like, um, you can't just like something. You have to be amazed by it, and you can't just dislike something because it's got flaws. You have to, uh, you have to absolutely hate it. The thing about Get Out is at least that audience—not that audience, but the 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 yeah. I mean, I think black audiences love that film because they don't get to go and watch films like that very often. So they at least I understand why they're excited about Black Panther in a way that might be a bit confusing to other people because they don't. The only black characters that have been in the Marvel universe up till this point have basically been there to wear the main white character's costume and like take orders from them for the most part. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like maybe the Falcon will get to wear the Captain America uniform at some time. Maybe, uh, I can't even remember his name and I should do because he's uh, maybe War Machine will get to be Iron Man at some point. And it's kind of a bit, I understand why people are hungry, but these just, to me, I find it very difficult to get excited about superhero movies. The thing that really I found really, really funny um, earlier today was I saw someone tweet about how people are trying to distance Joss Whedon from Justice League because the, the, the initial reviews for Justice League are coming through and it's basically the people who have been saying that it's going to be a train wreck for the last year are unpredictably reviewing it, saying it's a bit of a train wreck. But then there's this weird little sub-narrative that's saying Joss Whedon was only responsible for 15% of this film and anything good in it must have been Joss Whedon and stuff like that. And I'm like, Joss Whedon made Age of Ultron. <laughs> I, oh, I literally yeah. switched that film up after like 10 minutes. Movie. Did not like that movie at all. There's a weird sub-narrative under that where like Zack Snyder had to stop making Justice League because of a horrible tragedy in his family, whereas the Joss Whedon's been in the news for the last year for not being quite as good a feminist as he's basically been trading on for the last so it's sort of like we don't have to make these people heroes you know it's it's sort of weird sorry i've got a bit ranty and political that's okay i'll let you off um i was just (laughs) thinking though about the time that it is and how like i need to go to bed in a few moments and how long it's gonna take ringer to upload this file because it's fucking massive so uh, i think we're gonna have to like roll it up there so nick have you got anything you would like to plug yes uh it's not mine because i'm not as good a podcaster as i should be (laughs) at the moment i still manage to get out an episode of we have issues every couple of weeks i think the last couple have been really good actually but that's we have issues but my podcast spouse who you had on 
very recently, uh, James started a blog. Uh, I don't know when he started it because there are a few posts up there already. I think, to be honest, he's been wanting to set up a Squarespace blog since they started advertising on all <laughs> of the other podcasts that do advertising on them. And he's he's he uh, he initially started uh, started the the podcast we did before Momcast on Squarespace and I said oh Squarespace is rubbish so we moved away from it and I think he's been desperate to get back to Squarespace ever since uh, but yeah so he's doing a blog called Opti- oh, my chair's creaking. Optimistic Nihilist all one word uh, you're going to have to work out how to spell Nihilist yourself listener I can't uh, cut up all your food for you OptimisticNihilist.squarespace.com and it's basically about the I mean so I read the introduction and the introduction is amazing. It's quite a long, it's like an essay about where he is at the moment with his mental health. And um, I've been telling him for a really, really long time that he's incredibly smart and eloquent and everything. And he's never really believed me. And so uh, it's interesting that he's done. I think really, I mean, he wouldn't have had the strength to do this if I hadn't told him he was eloquent for all that time. Yeah. I think is the thing. But basically, um, uh, he's uh, the, the introductory essay is... Uh, incredibly, an incredibly brave and considered and reflective piece of writing about where he's got to with his mental health diagnosis at this point and the different stages he's got to. He's got a, a sense of clarity of the order in which things happen, which I don't really have myself. And then he's doing daily, he's trying to do daily blogs about where he is with his, where he's like searching for a diagnosis for what up till now he's has been described as depression and anxiety, but he's not sure, which... um we talk about mental health a lot on Two Grown Men, but I think this is a really good medium for him because he doesn't have me uh, berating him constantly to to man up and stop being stop being such a worse and basically the voice of his, the voice of his father. Uh, he doesn't have me in 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 the background telling him to stop being such a worse and get a grip. So <laughs> it's quite it's quite good. It's a good blog. He's good. I, some people might cry reading it. I don't know. I, I don't really have tears. That isn't a thing I do. Um, you read it, didn't you? I did, yes. It's, um, yeah. no, he's, he's a very eloquent man. You don't have to deal with his voice Aww. as well. He talks a bit like Ray Winston. Voice. So, I mean, he does. He kind of goes, he kind of goes like this, doesn't he? That's how he talks. So it's like, no, I'm joking. I love his voice. I've done like hundreds and hundreds of hours of podcasting. <laughs> so I don't have to quite like it. His voice is like a bit common hug like <laughs> anyway so yeah that i'll plug him or you are really plugging <laughs> fair enough do you have nothing <laughs> of your own to plug at the moment because like aren't you doing we have issues still yeah we yeah we have issues is we have issues is still coming out uh we are i mean james and i have talked about a format change for two grown men so there's still two grown men.net there's loads of episodes there to listen to anyway and we have issues are still coming out and we've sort of I've changed the format a little bit so it's a slightly more in-depth conversation about specific comics at the moment so we talked about I talked to Max Barnard about porn comics a couple of weeks ago well about three weeks ago and then I talked to David Wynn and he's lovely and yeah it's we have issues is good I like both of them they're good <laughs> listen to them they're do awesome. go and listen to them I <laughs> concur and um where can people find you on that there internet should you uh, wish to be found? So on Twitter, I'm Nick Sight, N-I-X-S-I-G-H-T. I forgot what it was for a minute. I think I'm the same on Mastodon, but it's slightly difficult to find people. Nicholas Bab Constantine on Facebook. And basically, uh, we have issues and uh, two grown men uh, both have pages and accounts on both. They're relatively easy to find, I think, if you just search for them. 
Really, I'm not good at plugging. I'm not. I'm not good at that. <laughs> I think. I think that's a. Uh, that's fine. If you would like to contact me, you can drop me a Twitter at Stacey's Parlor, or come and join the Stacey's Pop Culture Parlor Facebook group. I did a sort of miniature cough in the word culture there, and it came out really weird. <clears throat> um, you can also email me at Stacey's Parlor at gmail dot com. Uh, you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher and all those other places, and do reviews and stuff. I've also got a coffee page, which is like, it's supposed to be so that you can buy people that you like uh, coffees. So you make like teeny tiny donations, like two or three quid. Um, except I'm not going to use it for coffee. I'm going to use it to cover like ringer costs and that podcast hosting costs. So if you've like, enjoyed what you heard, go to coffee. It's www.ko-fi.com, I think. And then do a search for Stacey's Parlour and you'll find me and you can throw some money. I'm, I'm thinking of it as like a virtual tip jar. I don't know if that's how it's supposed to be used, but there you go. Yeah. Is, is it like a quirky version of Patreon? Yeah, I mean, it makes me feel better than Patreon because I did think about doing a Patreon. But the idea of the thing that puts me off Patreon, there are two things, is that I very rarely give to them even for people that I know and like, because I can't really make a monthly commitment of money, Mm -hmm. no matter how small it is, because some months I don't have it. (laughs) Whereas this is just literally like, if you've got three spare quid and you think I did a good episode, you can just throw it at me. And also, I don't like the extra level of, like, I feel like I have to create more content to make Patreon worth it for people. And I just don't know if I've got, again, I don't know if I've got the... Mm. Uh, capacity to commit to extra episodes or extra content and bonus stuff um so i thought i'd just set this up because then this way people can just like chip me some dollars as and when i think it's a good idea i think so too nick it's been a delight having you back in the park it always is lovely talking to stacy i love it Thank you. feel warm Actually, I don't. It's bloody cold out here. Oh no, I'm really toasty in this room because the uh, the heating's on, and I've shut the door, and it's all cosy. But on that note, I'll see you. I guess next month for like the big end of year Christmas review situation. So um, yeah, toodaloo. 